is it with hotels? It seems like every time I turn around, someone's telling me about another hotel where ghosts and goblins pull at bedsheets or mess with the elevators or run through the hallways laughing all night. Of course, the question is rhetorical. Any place that is a repository for transitory people is bound to attract some wayward souls looking to free themselves of their corporeal body. It seems the more fancy the hotel, the more ghosts it plays host to. I mean, we've all seen The Shining. The Overlook Hotel is peak mid-century fancy. Is it that ghosts are attracted to the finer things in life? Or is it that people who die in fancy hotels figure they might as well stick around because the hotel is so nice? I guess we all better hope we don't die at the Homewood and in Suites in Dennis, New Jersey. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a former staunch disbeliever in ghosts and am now slightly less S-T-A-U-N-C-H staunch. Strangers, we've dug into well over a hundred stories together every week for the last few years. And now that we've launched our Patreon, we've added three bonus episodes to that number every month. That's seven unbelievable stories every month. That's a lot of strange. It's impossible not to think that some of these spooky tales might be plausible. The more I learn, the less I know, and I don't want to be caught with my pants down when someone comes forward with actual, scientific, irrefutable proof that ghosts exist. I don't want to be on the wrong side of history, so I'm willing to allow a little more than I used to. But I have to draw the line somewhere. I'm just not sure where that line is or what I'm drawing it with. Chalk? I guess I'll use chalk. Anyway, today we'll meet some folks who met their ends at a once grand and stately hotel and who can't seem to check out. Welcome to the Congress Plaza Hotel. According to its website, the Congress Plaza Hotel is one of downtown Chicago's most legendary hotels, located near Grant Park on Michigan Avenue. With views of Lake Michigan, the Congress Plaza Hotel and Convention Center has been a Windy City icon since 1893, playing host to U.S. presidents, international celebrities and performers, foreign dignitaries, and elite travelers from around the world. From the gilded lobby ornately designed with blind arches, marble and chandeliers, to impeccable service and classically decorated rooms and suites, a stay at the Congress Plaza Hotel has long been a symbol of luxury and privilege among executives, families, and leisure guests seeking to explore the best the city has to offer. Of course, what the website fails to mention are the numerous tragedies that have befallen guests at the hotel, or furthermore, the ghosts that some claim haunt the halls. Built in 1893, the website explains, The hotel was originally called the Auditorium Annex when it opened to house the throngs of visitors to the World's Columbian Exposition, celebrating the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering America. Call me ill-informed, but I thought Columbus discovered America in 1492. The poem doesn't go, in 1493, Columbus sailed the Great Big Sea. I mean, I guess the entire premise is built on a falsehood to begin with, so moving on. 
There is at least one person who believes that the Congress Plaza Hotel is haunted. According to a piece in the Columbia Chronicle from July of 2022, quote, for real-life ghost hunter and Chicago hauntings ghost tour guide Tony Jabelski, ghosts seep through the shadows, drift in and out of elevators, and manipulate radio frequencies. The epicenter of Jabelski's paranormal investigation is a skyline staple in glowing neon red lettering the Congress Plaza Hotel. If anywhere is haunted in Chicago, it's the Congress Hotel, Jabelski says, end quote. True crime fanatics may have already guessed at the first monster in our story. If you know anything about H.H. Holmes, the notorious serial killer who turned his Chicago mansion into a kind of escape house of horrors, you know that he used the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition, a.k.a. the World's Fair, including the hotel where many visitors of the fair stayed, as a hunting ground for victims. I actually don't know much about H.H. Holmes, as something about his story creeps me out to such a degree that I have stayed far, far away. And by something, I mean all of it. But the World's Columbian Exposition happened at the height of his killing frenzy. Holmes met a number of women there with whom he would become engaged. He would then secure all their money for himself before killing them. And Jordan Peterson wonders why fewer women are getting married these days. Anyway, the ghost of H.H. Holmes is said to roam the hotel's hallways, though why he would haunt a hotel when he had his own murder castle just around the corner is beyond me. Maybe he's still looking for more victims? Maybe he likes room service? Whatever the reason, having one of the most notorious serial killers of all time linked to the opening of your hotel is not a great start. In a piece for Insider titled, I Spent Three Nights in Chicago's Most Haunted Hotel and It Was Just as Terrifying as The Shining, Take a Look Inside, end quote, Frank Alito explains, quote, When I first stepped inside the lobby of the Congress Plaza Hotel, I was impressed by the grandeur, but something definitely felt off. At that point, I couldn't put my finger on what felt odd about the hotel, but I remember feeling strange while walking through the lobby and during check-in, end quote. Of course, one wonders if he would have felt that way if he didn't know the hotel is considered the most haunted place in Illinois, and or if he wasn't tasked with writing a piece about it for a magazine. Aside from H.H. Holmes, who all is floating around the halls of the Congress Plaza Hotel, and what kind of mischief are they up to? Well, first, it might be helpful to understand just how fancy this hotel was back in its heyday. According to the hotel's website, the South Tower construction included a magnificent banquet hall, now known as the Gold Room, which would become the first hotel ballroom in America to use air conditioning. And, stranger, that may not seem like a big deal, but imagine for a moment a huge ballroom filled with men wearing three-piece wool tuxedos and women wearing velvet or beaded gowns all twirling around for hours. Imagine the stench. Thank God for air conditioning. Air conditioning alone might be enough to stick around for in the afterlife. Another ballroom called the Florentine Room was added to the North Tower in 1909. These two famous public rooms combined with the Elizabethan Room and the Pompeian Room were to host Chicago's elite social events of the day. 
So with all those ornate, elaborate, air-conditioned ballrooms and what we'd call conference rooms today, a parade of some of the country's most important people came through, including Presidents Grover Cleveland, William McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, Woodrow Wilson, Warren Harding, Calvin Coolidge, and Franklin Roosevelt. So, the hotel, it seems, has managed to shake off whatever bad vibes it might have taken on in its early proximity to the notorious H.H. Holmes. Despite the hotel's grandeur of fancy guests and important functions, rumors of ghosts shrouded its reputation. One such ghost was Peg Leg Johnny, and I'm sure the term Peg Leg is now considered offensive, but that was what people called him. So take it up with them, not me. According to a piece called The Unbelievable Story of the Chicago Congress Plaza Hotel and Its Haunted History, from the Digital Research Library of Illinois History Journal by Dr. Neil Gale, quote, Hotel staff and guests have reported and named a ghostly figure of Peg Leg Johnny who appears to be a hobo. Little is known about this vagrant. Sightings of him have been reported lurking around the South Tower, in guest rooms on different floors, in the hotel lobby, and in dining areas. The incorrigible spirit turns lights and electronics on and off and generally scares and causes havoc for guests. End quote. And yes, we all know hobo is a super offensive thing to call a person experiencing homelessness, but that was a direct quote, so take it up with Dr. Neil Gale. Except don't, because he was quoting someone else. Ghost hunter Tony Jabelski believes Peg Leg Johnny may have been the spirit of a, quote, vagrant who was murdered in a back alley, end quote, of the hotel. And according to the piece in the Columbia Chronicle, quote, Alternatively, there is lore that he is the ghost of a killer clown named Charles Conway. Conway, a circus performer with a wooden leg, made national news in 1912 when he was convicted of murdering an heiress with a clown handkerchief. After making a grand escape from prison in 1925, Conway was never seen again, Jabelski says. Regardless of whether the Phantom was once a murder victim or a killer clown, Reported sightings of Peg Leg Johnny have spanned the dining room, lobby, guest rooms, and hallways, end quote. I don't know about you, stranger, but I'm going with the version of the story where he was a killer clown. And adding to it that after he murdered the heiress with a clown handkerchief, he honked his horn and rode off on a unicycle carrying a big sack with dollar signs on it, but got tripped up on his giant shoes. I'm sorry, I mean shoe. I forgot about the peg leg. In truth, I ended up down a long internet rabbit hole about this guy and covered him in an upcoming bonus episode. You can listen to the wild story on our Patreon. Another decidedly less goofy apparition is the Shadow Man, who apparently gets spotted by guests quite a lot. An oft-repeated story about the Shadow Man says that a security guard once chased the Shadow Man up to the roof where he disappeared. Speaking of security guards, ghost hunter Tony Jabelski told a local CBS affiliate in Chicago that a security guard named John, who worked at the hotel for 30 years and didn't believe in ghosts, had his mind changed when he got a call about a little boy who was running around on the 12th floor making too much noise. When John got to the 12th floor, he couldn't see any sign of the little boy at first. But then, at the far end of the hallway, there he was. 
According to Jabelsky, the little boy, quote, didn't look much different from a typical little boy except that his clothes were older and worn. John reported that he pointed at the little boy and said, Hey, you're not supposed to be up here running around. So what did the boy do? John says the boy just looked at him, grinned, and slowly faded away right before his eyes. John said he'd run into the boy at the hotel now and then, and even once in his own home. But it's important to note that Jess, my trusty researcher, couldn't find any first-hand accounts from John, and we really have no way of knowing if he actually exists. I'm not saying a man who makes a living giving ghost tours of Chicago would make something up. Wait a minute. Yes, I am. Anyway. So why is it that some hotels seem to attract ghosts while others don't? Could it be the hotels that are host to a string of tragedies become some kind of vector for wayward souls? Or, at the very least, a kind of purgatory for the souls whose lives ended there? As for the Congress Plaza Hotel, it certainly has seen its fair share of tragedy. You might remember the elevator episode from way back at the beginning of season one. It remains one of my favorite episodes. Back when elevators were still a relatively new technology, it didn't occur to folks that having an open shaft in which an extremely heavy and fast-moving piece of machinery travels up and down it might lead to some pretty horrific accidents. In 1904, while dozens of well-dressed guests mingled in the lobby for promenade hour before dinner, which I assume was literally just that, an hour in which people promenaded around in front of each other to show off their outfits, like some kind of mating ritual for rich people. Anyway, during promenade hour, elevator conductor A.J. Berninston somehow fell into the elevator shaft and plunged about 70 feet past the lobby to the bottom of the shaft. It was reported the following day in a local paper this way, quote, Groups of guests were crowded around the elevator's shaft, impatiently awaiting the arrival of Berninston's car, which had become stuck in the shaft. When the conductor's body flashed by them and struck at the bottom of the shaft with a sickening sound, causing the women standing near the elevator entrance to scream in horror, end quote. Unfortunately for Berninston, the fall somehow did not kill him right away, though thankfully he was unconscious. He died a short time later. And in 1926, 48-year-old Harriet Harrison, who was described by the Chicago Tribune as, quote, wife of George Harrison, prominent businessman of Galesburg, end quote, so not the best songwriter from the Beatles, fell six stories to her death at the bottom of the elevator shaft. As the Tribune reported it, quote, the woman's scream as she fell and the impact of her body at the bottom of the shaft caused excitement around the hotel and continued for several hours after the body had been taken to undertaking rooms, end quote. Undertaking rooms? Is that, like, a thing? And how does one know if they're staying in the room next to the undertaking rooms? Do they have undertaking rooms at the Homewood Inn and Suites in Dennis, New Jersey? Add undertaking rooms to the list of things I need to be concerned about in hotels, right next to bed bugs. According to ghost hunter Tony Jabelski, the Congress Plaza Hotel has been host to too many suicides to count. A few notable suicides, however, made it into local papers. 
1916, a Mrs. Marie Davis was found seriously ill, and her husband, Morse, was dead after she told police they both mistakenly drank cyanide, thinking it was Epsom salts. Police, however, were of the mind that Marie and Morse drank the poison as part of a suicide pact, and I have to say, I would be inclined to agree. One, why did they even have cyanide in the first place? And two, why would they both be drinking Epsom salts? Look, I'm not saying it's impossible that they were both constipated at the same time. I know travel really gums up some people's systems, and perhaps they were both going hard on the cheese and wine or something, but it seems a little improbable to me that they were like, hey, let's both clean out our colons at the same time in the one hotel bathroom. You know? Like, I've been with my partner for nigh on to 14 years now, and I would rather be constipated than intentionally shit-bomb the bathroom we were sharing. And in 1950, hotel guest John A. Raymond received a visit from William Seng, the hotel's credit manager, who wanted to discuss Raymond's outstanding bill of $104, just over $13,000 in today money. Raymond, who'd been discharged from the Marine Corps shortly before his visit to the Congress Plaza Hotel for a heart condition, had told his sister that he didn't care if he lived or died. Raymond shot him and himself, killing them both. There were a number of other suicides at the hotel that I'm not going to elaborate on because it's too depressing. Hotels seem to be a popular place for people to kill themselves, probably so that their families won't be the ones to find them. Unfortunately, that means it's usually the hotel cleaning staff that does find them. Just a reminder to always leave a tip before checkout. It seems it may be the ghosts of those who have met their tragic ends at the hotel that now haunt the guests of the Congress Plaza, floating down hallways and generally spooking the place. For example, the Shadow Man is said to be the ghost of Captain Louis Ostheim, who was in town with his fiancée Ava Wood in early April of 1900. The couple was set to get married at Wood's uncle's house on April 9th. Ostheim had been stationed in the Philippines during the Spanish-American War, where he quickly rose through the ranks to captain. According to a piece in the Los Angeles Evening Express from April 9, 1900, quote, Captain Ostheim registered at the Auditorium Annex on Monday, April 2nd, one week ago today. He seemed to be in excellent health, showed the tan of his Philippine campaigning in his face, and was reserved in his manner, end quote. Ostheim spent the evening of April 7th with Ava and her uncle, who later told the Chicago Tribune, Quote, he had seemed to be in a cheerful frame of mind when he left the residence on Saturday night, end quote. The couple made plans to see each other the following night. Ostheim got his room key at the front desk of the hotel at 9 p.m. and went to his room. The following day, the maid told management she couldn't get into Ostheim's room to clean it. Management figured Ostheim was just resting. But when he still hadn't emerged by that evening, they let themselves into his room and found Captain Ostheim dead on his bed with a single gunshot wound to his right temple. His new revolver, which the LA Evening Express said he'd just purchased that very morning for protection because he'd been carrying a large amount of money on him, was underneath his body. 
At first, it was assumed that Ostheim had taken his life in a premeditated act, but Ava's uncle told investigators that Ostheim had been complaining of nightmares and had trouble sleeping before daylight. When he did sleep, quote, his sleep was often troubled with distressing dreams, end quote. He believed Ostheim may have been suffering from one such dream and either woke up and was confused, pulled out his revolver, or pulled out his revolver in his sleep under the influence of a nightmare and accidentally shot himself. Personally, though, I wonder two things. One, did no one in the hotel hear the gunshot? And two, if Ostheim thought he was trying to protect himself in a dream, why did he shoot himself in the head? One would think he would have shot whatever he thought was in front of or on top of him. If the gun went off by accident, what are the odds it went off by accident right into his temple? Whatever the circumstances were that led him to pull that trigger, they must have been truly terrifying. Even if he did intentionally shoot himself, anyone who has experienced suicidal depression can attest, that shit is terrifying. Ghost hunter Jabelski told the Columbia Chronicle that ever since, the guests have complained of a shadowy figure, especially emerging from their closet. Some guests, he's claimed, have been prompted by the ghost to leave the hotel in the dead of night. Again, we haven't been able to find any first-hand accounts of people claiming to have seen this guy or checking out in the middle of the night because of the shadow man. And Lord knows, people have reported and done far weirder things on Ambien, so... And then there's the little boy some guests have complained was making a ruckus up on the 12th floor. The one the security guard, John, apparently saw that made him a believer in ghosts. Some believe the ghost is that of six-year-old Carol Tommy Langer, who in 1939 was a refugee from Nazi-occupied Czechoslovakia, along with his younger brother, Jan, and their parents, Carol Sr. and Adele. Mr. Langer had been forced to sell his extremely successful textile business in Prague in part because he feared Hitler would seize it and in order to flee the Nazis. The textile business, which was worth one and a half million dollars, sold for a few thousand. He said he'd practically given it away to his oldest employees. And by the time the family reached the States, they had less than $10,000 with which to start over. The Langers and their sons had been staying in a basement apartment of a family member in Chicago since arriving three weeks earlier, but Adele and the two children had moved into the Congress Plaza Hotel, staying in room 1252. Adele Langer had been suffering from depression after being forced to flee her home country and, according to her husband, had talked frequently of killing herself and, quote, taking the babies with her, end quote. I don't know if Mr. Langer just didn't believe her or if he didn't think she'd have the will or the means to go through with it, but on August 3rd of 1939, she gathered her six and four and a half year old sons in her arms and leapt from the 13th floor of the Congress Plaza Hotel. All three Langers died. Chicago Tribune reports from the Times state Mrs. Langer's jump from the 13th floor, while more contemporary articles from CBS News Chicago state the 12th floor. In the midst of this story, a rumor developed that the boy's body didn't make it to the morgue, though why that would be, I have no idea. But Jabelski told the Chicago CBS affiliate, Quote, Meanwhile, on the 12th floor of the North Tower, Jabelski notes that some of the doors don't match. The carpets are very old and worn, the woodwork is chipped away, and some of the paint also doesn't match as one walks down the hallway. 
parts of the hallway are wider and then become narrow, end quote. I don't really understand what that has to do with the ghost of a little boy. It sounds more like a maintenance issue. Perhaps the implication is that the people responsible for the maintenance of the hotel are so scared of the little boy ghost that they've just let the 12th floor deteriorate? According to the Haunted Places blog, quote, Today, room 1252 can be found sealed off from the public. In fact, the room is said to be so haunted that the doorknob was removed and the door gaps were glued shut, effectively trapping anything that may linger inside. Throughout the 12th floor of the hotel, many rooms were unmarked and bolted shut. Damage on several of the door frames is also evident of vandalism, possibly by thrill-seekers looking for paranormal activity. Throughout the hotel, several other rooms can also be found locked up with padlocks." End quote. Journalist Dan DeBown, writing for WJON in Minnesota, wrote, quote, "...the first thing we checked out was the 12th floor. Apparently, there was a room so haunted and awful on the 12th floor that staff had to seal it away from being used." I almost didn't believe it, but our trip to the 12th floor revealed a sealed-off door with no handle. I knocked on the area, and it seemed hollow, like there was a room on the other side." End quote. Now listen, I'm no engineer or architect or whatever, but isn't it possible that what used to be room 1252 got annexed by an adjacent room to make two rooms into a suite and they sealed off what was the door to room 1252 instead of building a whole new wall where the door used to be? In fact, ghost hunters, tour guides, and bloggers kept claiming different rooms were sealed off, including room 666, because, of course. And while the hotel admitted that what was room 666 had become a storage unit, though why it would be sealed shut, I don't know, the true story, at least according to Dr. Neil Gale for his piece in the Digital Research Library of Illinois, goes like this. Quote, the stories that one room is so haunted they had to lock it shut probably grew from old stories about room 666 being sealed off. A storage closet occupies the space where room 666 would be, as told to me on the phone April 15, 2021, by the hotel office. The stories about room 441 being the most haunted are fairly recent. For a long time, tour guides would just come up with a random room number when they talked about which room was the most haunted. It seems like they've settled on room 441 after it was written about a few times and ghost tour companies started repeating it on their tours. For example, Tony Jabelski told CBS, quote, Room 441 on the fourth floor of the South Tower is considered by many to be the most haunted room in the hotel. Many people report calling security because they see a woman standing or hovering over the bed, pushing or tugging on the bed, or pushing or tugging on the covers. Nobody knows exactly who this woman is, but a lot of people have reported her, Jabelski says. Some say they even see her coming in and out of the bathroom, end quote. In his article, Dr. Gale also recounts this rumor, quote, Guests that stayed in room number 666 in the North Tower made more calls to security and the front desk than those staying in any other room in the hotel. People reported seeing the dark figure of a woman who kicks or shakes them awake while in bed. Reports of seeing objects moving and hearing terrifying noises have also been reported. The room is so frightening that the door was sealed shut, end quote. 
But it's not just room 441 and or possible storage closet 666 and or room 1252. According to Dr. Gale's research, the Florentine Ballroom is a hot spot for paranormal activity in the hotel. Quote, staff at the Congress Hotel report electrical appliances turning on and off on their own, whispering women, humming men, phantom gunshots, and Teddy Roosevelt's ghost has been seen in the Florentine Ballroom in the wee hours of the morning. Several security guards have told stories about hearing music coming from the ballroom. The piano plays itself. It's not a player piano either. Not a whole sonata or anything, just a few random notes, but a note or two is enough to give anybody the willies, end quote. I mean, it could be a rat running across a few keys, which is also enough to give anybody the willies. Quote, it's also rumored that some of the bridesmaids at wedding parties who gather around the piano for photographs do not show up in the pictures, end quote. I mean, this one seems pretty easy to refute, no? Where are all these pictures? Someone needs to be taking a Polaroid camera to the next wedding in the Florentine ballroom and do a little gonzo reporting. And then there's the gold ballroom, which doesn't get much ghost activity per se, but in the adjacent kitchen, unplugged equipment will start up by itself. And according to Dr. Gale, quote, there's the workman who supposedly got buried behind the balcony of the gold ballroom in the plaster wall when the hotel was being built. The hand is called the Hand of Mystery, referring to his gloved hand. It's deteriorated enough that it's clearly not just a work glove that was plastered over. For the record, the wall it's coming out of isn't nearly thick enough for anyone to be buried in it." End quote. And I'm going to go ahead and admit right now that the picture of the glove is eerie AF. We'll post it on our socials. The only logical explanation I can come up with is that a worker's glove got stuck to the pipe for some reason while he was wearing it. Heat? Glue? I don't know. And he slipped out of the glove and left it there. And let's just say, for the sake of argument, that a worker did somehow get buried in a wall that wasn't thick enough to bury a person, like how people claimed people on board the Philadelphia experiment ship got half buried in the floor. Something tells me that if that happened, the hotel would have removed any evidence of it. They wouldn't have just left the glove there. Then again, with every story of lights turning themselves on and off and ghost children running down the hall and workers buried in walls, the hotel may just attract a couple more bookings. And while some might be turned off by the awful stories of gruesome accidents and suicides, if you can turn those into spooky yet harmless ghost stories, who's going to be upset? Unless ghosts actually are real and all the spirits of those who met their untimely ends at the Congress Plaza Hotel are just waiting to unleash some poltergeist shit any day now. Perhaps we don't hear about spirits wandering the halls of the Homewood Inn and Suites in Dennis, New Jersey, because I would imagine the Homewood Inn and Suites of Dennis, New Jersey is so dull and drab and depressing that an errant ghost hanging around the soda machine at the end of the hall isn't all that surprising. You'd be like, you know what? Between the sticky carpet and the mystery stains on the bathroom wall, this tracks. Like, of course awful things happened there. 
If you find yourself at the Homewood Inn and Suites in Dennis, New Jersey, I'm willing to bet you took some wrong turns in your life. Whereas when something tragic happens in a once grand and ornate hotel that housed presidents and dignitaries and just regular everyday fancy people, it takes us by surprise. And so the stories of the poor souls whose lives ended prematurely within its hallowed halls grow. And before you know it, any Joe Schmo who can get their hands on a night vision camera is roaming said halls, trying to capture a glimpse of one of these vestiges of tragedy convincing themselves that every shadow, every creaking floorboard, and every banging pipe is a message from the great beyond. And if you just so happen to be in the business of hosting ghost tours, or a blog about haunted places, or a podcast about strange and unexplained things, it's just good business practice to repeat these stories until eventually no one knows who saw what, what happened where, which room is sealed off and why, or if the banging on the walls is actually a ghost or just your next-door neighbors having a good time. P.S. I'd like to formally apologize to the proprietors of the Homewood Inn and Suites in Dennis, New Jersey, which does not, in fact, exist at all. Spooky. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, 50 years ago, two teens in love made their way to a music festival and were never seen again. And despite the decades that have passed, some still hold out hope that they're still out there, alive, somewhere. And if you want even more Strange and Unexplained, head on over to patreon.com slash strange and unexplained and join our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get three bonus episodes plus exclusive content. And for just $7 a month, you get all that plus all the episodes ad-free. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Natalie Grillo and Angela Palladino. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, researched by Jess McKillop, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and sound engineered and mixed by Jennifer Swatek. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have a story for something you'd like us to cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, head over to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. If you like our show, please do help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a glowing review wherever you listen to podcasts. Our critics are vocal and unafraid of submitting those one-star reviews. If you don't like the show, feel free to give a one-star and a scathing review. The name of the podcast is Politically Insane, a podcast about bringing Christianity back to American politics. Because, you know, it isn't there already. (laughs) 